Good morning, Calvary. It's good to see you. Few hearty souls who have braved the elements to make their way to church. Welcome, and it's good to have everybody joining us online, uh, sitting there with your coffee all warm. Uh, it's great to gather together with God's people to consider his word. And I consider it a great honor and privilege. I uh, appreciate the pastor uh, inviting me to do this. Before we get into this uh, passage this morning, the final in this wonderful book, uh, let's pause, ask the Lord to bless our time, and accomplish his purposes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great grace, mercy, and love. I thank you for uh, your son, the living word, whose death and burial and resurrection made it possible to enjoy this fellowship with you and with each other uh, this morning. We thank you for the written word that opens up to us your desire and your plan and what you, you expect of us and how we can walk with you. Thank you for this opportunity to consider uh, the closing passage of this uh, wonderful letter from James. We ask that you would accomplish your purposes in and through this time. Uh, Father, open our hearts and our minds, uh, mine and everyone uh, listening this morning, to receive what you desire of us. We give you this time and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I suspect that prayer may be one of the most talked about ideals in Christianity but perhaps the least practiced and sometimes misunderstood of all the, the disciplines that we have before us. It's very easy for us to view prayer as coming before the celestial Santa Claus with our wish list and expecting him to do everything on that list in order to make us happy. And such is not the case. God has given us a rich access to him to accomplish far more than what we could ever imagine. And the beauty of this passage is this morning, it accomplishes the very things that uh, our pastor has been talking about the last few weeks. And actually, I see this morning's passage as the second part to his sermon. Uh, if you remember last week, the pastor was talking about suffering and some tools, uh, six tools to use in how to have patience in the midst of those sufferings. And uh, so, uh, you can see up here the, is, the six that he gave last week is know that the difficulty you now face will have an end. Uh, it's not permanent. Stay the course. Do not become bitter towards others in the body. Remember that others have walked this path. Know that God is working within the difficulty to accomplish his purposes in your life. And anchor yourself to the truth that God is good even when others aren't. This morning, I'd like to see and, and submit to you that this is the seventh tool in that whole uh, uh, offering there of the resources that are available to us to, uh, to endure suffering. It seems to me appropriate that James, the brother, half-brother of Christ, would start his uh, letter with consider all joy, pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, understanding that the testing of your faith produces endurance and so forth. So he starts with this notion of difficulty and, and trials, and then he ends his letter, and it gives this understanding that James is addressing an audience of brothers and sisters in Christ who experience and face serious struggles. And so this passage uh, ushers us into the final 
treatment of how do we face struggles? How do we face suffering? And so let's read the passage together. Again, if you uh, have your hard copy, uh, those old-fashioned things called books, Bibles, you can open it up or uh, refer to your electronic version. But this passage, just look at it together and uh, see what James has uh, for us this morning. Is anyone among you, this is James chapter 5, starting verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven uh, gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, and if you have a chance, pull up verse 20 between now and the time we get there. But the whole point of this is prioritize prayer. This passage has somewhere around seven references to the call to pray or references to prayer. And I would submit to you this morning that the capstone in this whole discussion on how to deal with suffering is this vital and valuable and precious resource of prayer. And this morning I see three different components of this prayer. The first is look to God in prayer. The passage that uh, we started off with, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. This word for suffering, the pastor touched on this last week, uh, literally, uh, the core phrase is suffering as a result of evil. It can refer to generalized suffering and pain. And, and sometimes we experience suffering, uh, physical illness, uh, financial pressures. And I don't think those are exempt from this, but I think there is plenty of evidence from the context that he's really focusing on this notion of suffering evil at the hands of other. Literally translated, it is suffering evil, and when we experience evil, usually from a personal standpoint. Uh, the, the passage from James, or the book of James, is heavily focused on those who are experiencing persecution, but it doesn't have to be persecution from those out there. Sometimes our suffering comes from within the family, doesn't it? James talked about in chapter 1 the, the need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And some in the fellowship may have experienced uh, that overflow of anger or, or uh, outbursts of anger from others and, and have been subjected to the pain that comes from that. Or later on in chapter 1, he says, uh, talks about an unbridled tongue. Some of us here know what it's like to be the object of an unbridled tongue. In chapter 2, some were being treated unfairly. They were uh, being uh, shown, some were showing, uh, being shown partiality and others were being neglected. 
Uh, later on, he talked about in chapter 5, some employers were not taking care of their employees. And then last week, the pastor talked about the grumbling that takes place. And so when we encounter, and we will encounter those, these times of suffering, and sometimes, unfortunately, suffering at the hands of brothers and sisters whom we love and trust, there is a call to pray. I've made this observation. Prolonged general, and this isn't up on the screen, but it just, just capture it. Prolonged general suffering can break your spirit. But suffering at the hands of others, especially those you would expect to love and support you, can break your heart. And nothing compares to a heart that is broken by someone you love and you trust. In such situations, we may be inclined to isolate and to withdraw. But the encouragement from this passage is turn to him in prayer. And I would submit even run to him to the arms of our Heavenly Father who can comfort and sustain us, sustain us. Paul in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, refers to God as the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. And when the evil comes upon us and we're experiencing that suffering, there is an open invitation from our Heavenly Father to come to Him, to run into His arms. There are very few people in here who will remember the NBC series Saturday Night at the Movies. Anybody as old as I remember, yeah, remember that? A few. Uh, for you younger people, this is before there was live streaming and before there were DVDs and Blu-ray and before there were VCRs, there was uh, network programming of movies. And so as a young child in the early 60s, on Saturday nights, our family would gather together. And one of the movies that stands out very vividly in my mind uh, was the title of it was White Feather. It starred Robert Wagner. And some of the young people don't have a clue who Robert Wagner is. If you watch NCIS, uh, he is Tony Denozo Sr. Uh, and Jeffrey Hunter. And many in here aren't going to remember Jeffrey Hunter. If you are a Star Trek fan, a Trekkie, he was Captain Pike, the predecessor to Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Okay? This is a long time ago. But Robert Wagner played the part of Josh Tanner. I love that name, Josh Tanner. Uh, in 1877, in Wyoming, as the U.S. government is about to uh, finalize negotiations with the Cheyenne uh, Nation and relocate them, Jeffrey Hunter plays the part of Little Dog, who is a Cheyenne warrior, son of the chief, who is absolutely opposed to this relocation and opposed to any kind of treaty. And by an odd set of circumstances, Josh Tanner and Little Dog strike up a, an unusual friendship, and they become close. And as the tensions are rising, they become friends. And Josh Tanner happens to actually have a love interest in Little Dog's uh, sister. And so they come together, and they share some unique uh, gifts with each other. But as the story unfolds, 
Little Dog refuses to go along with the rest of the Cheyenne Nation, and he alone decides to stand against the U.S. cavalry. And in the climax of the movie, Little Dog is dressed in his war paint, and he is by himself on a horse, and the U.S. cavalry is lined up on a ridge, and he charges, and he's yelling, and he pulls out his carbine, and he opens fire at the U.S. cavalry. And they, of course, have to return fire, and he is knocked off of his horse and is laying crumpled up in a mound on the ground. And Josh T Tanner comes over, and he gently and carefully straightens out that crumpled body, takes little dog's arms and folds them over his chest. He takes the eagle feather that has come off and puts it back in his headband. He takes out one of the trinkets that he had changed, uh, had uh, given him early, and puts it in his hand, and folds it over his chest, and gets up and stands there, and then starts to walk away. And at eight years old, I was devastated. My older brother and I started crying, and you've heard ugly crying. I mean, we were sobbing. We were uncontrollable. It was. It was almost a medical event. We were crying so, so hard. And uh, my father called us over to him. Now, you under need to understand, my father was a hulk of a man. He was a Marine in the South Pacific in World War II. He had done what now is reserved for Special Forces uh, Marine Corps, but he was uh, a seasoned, hardened veteran. He then became a heavyweight professional boxer. And when I was a young child, he was a police officer, all before becoming a pastor. So he was this huge, strong man, and if I ever said my father could beat up your father, it was true, he could. <laughs> but he's sitting on the couch and he sees us and his heart pours out for us and he calls my older brother over to him and he takes us both, one in each arm, and we bury our, our face in his hairy chest and we sob and he just holds us. And he said, you need to understand that's just a story. Once the director said cut, he got up and they were friends and they walked off and they probably had a cup of coffee. And that lightened things up, but it's not his words that really impacted me. And what stands out vividly in my mind uh, almost six years later is the fact that he just held us and he loved us in our deep, deep sorrow, our broken heart. We have a loving Heavenly Father who is ready to receive us when our hearts are crushed because of suffering. Now, I'm keenly aware that there are some in this room who may not have had grown up with fathers who were good models of our Heavenly Father. And if that's the case, I want you to imagine as best as you possibly can an ideal Father and then magnify that image of a perfect father billions of times, and you still will not come close to the goodness of our Heavenly Father. When the struggles are as a result, especially, of other people, turn to Him. Go to Him. Pray. But in this 
this aspect of going to him in prayer. There's also a, a reminder to focus on the good things, the blessings. When Personally, when things go south for me, it's easy for me to focus on all of the negative things and overlook the good that has happened. So guys, go ahead and put up this next image. Uh, on that screen, what's the prominent, what do you see? A dot. How many see a huge field of white all the way around it? You know, our focus goes to the dot because that, that's our nature. But if you were looking at this on your phone, you know how you can zoom in? Go ahead and hit the next one. This is, when we zoom in, this is what we see. We, everything becomes this big dot that dominates the screen. Whereas if this were the sufferings that we we're experiencing, if we were to pull it back and zoom out, that's probably more likely what it would be. In the midst of this suffering of difficulties, rather than zooming in on that hardship and that struggle, it's best for us to zoom out and look at the bigger picture of all that God has done and is doing. Uh, a passage that uh, pastors referred to when he did the, the passage on Elizabeth and he gave a list of promises. At the top of that list was Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 6 through 8. And I'd like to refer you to it. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So here is that call to go to him in prayer. And uh, in the midst of the difficulty, instead of being anxious, go to him in prayer with thanksgiving. But look at what he follows up in, in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is uh, just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And that idea of thinking, that's an ongoing present tense, is keep on thinking about these things. Pastor gives assignments, I'd like to give you an assignment. In the next week or so, take this verse and put the categories, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and write down as many things as you can think that fall under those categories. You may even want to take it a step further. I did this a, a, a couple of months ago. And thinking about God, list all of the things that you can think about God that are true. I filled up two pages just under what's true. What is honorable, whatever is just. And then, once you've done that, think about them. Review them. Remind yourself over and over again of God's goodness. Our Heavenly Father is far greater, far more expansive and massive than any of the struggles that we can possibly experience. And so, in the midst of these struggles, the first call from James is to go to God in prayer. But next is in verse chapter 5, verses uh, 14 through 16, is to look to each other for prayer. Let's read the passage together. Is any among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, honestly, uh, this passage is one of the most uh, debated uh, passages in Christianity. Uh, there, uh, there's a lot of going back and forth, and I appreciate the pastor giving me the, the passage. It's so difficult. Uh, it was very kind of him. Um, but I suspect many in this room have referred to this passage for loved ones who are sick and have, have perhaps even been disappointed at the outcome. Uh, th- let's... Let's talk about the various, there are four main views of what the sickness is. Literally translated, sickness is weakness. But the first view is what you may have heard is, this is referring to physical, uh, extreme physical illness. I mean, the point is, you're so sick that you can't go to the elders, you call the elders to come to you. So you call the elders to come to you, and they're anointed with oil, and the result is, uh, it will be followed by the promise of healing. Now, this is uh, one of the problems with this is it seems like uh, this is a guarantee that if you follow this prescription, if you are seriously ill and you call the elders and they anoint with oil and pray for you, and that anointing with oil is more of a symbolic uh, presence of the Holy Spirit, that there is a guarantee that you will be, you will be healed. The problem with that is... Scripture has examples. Uh, Epaphroditus, Paul refers to in Philippians 2, Epaphroditus was sick almost to the point of death. And he didn't call for the elders to anoint him, and Epaphroditus wasn't miraculously healed. So Scripture does not support a blanket application of that. Many of us have experienced loved ones who had terminal cancer, and we followed this line from Scripture, and that person passed away. I Three come to my own personal mind in, in uh, the years of ministry. Uh, so that's one view. The second is that this is a serious illness, but then the pray and the, anoint, the anointing is more for medicinal purposes. The anointing with oil was a common practice when someone was sick. Remember the, the Good Samaritan? When he ministered to the individual, he poured oil on the wounds, and so... Uh, there are some who view that this is basically combining prayer and medicine for the healing. The third is that uh, this is illness that is a result of sin. And if that's the case, then there needs to be a confession of the sin, and the bringing in of the leadership is to pray for healing, uh, understanding that the sin has been dealt with. And then the final view, which is what I am inclined to hold, is that the sickness is a weakness that can be physical, emotional, or spiritual. Paul, in his use of this term for sickness throughout his epistles, only uses it from a physical standpoint a couple of times. Most of the time, he's talking about emotional and spiritual weakness. And honestly, when we go through the various trials, uh, when we experience these sufferings, it can impact us physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, 
physically, we all know. Emotionally, I'm a, a chaplain for first responders in the area, and PTSD is a very real issue. And so when we, go, when we are the object of scorn or ill treatment at the hands of others, it can cause emotional injury and weakness. It can cause spiritual weakness. And this may be, you go back through the whole book of James, and you remember these things that I talked about. When we are in the midst of struggles, it's easy to slip into unbiblical thinking and unbiblical patterns. When somebody wrongs us, it's so easy to slip into anger and a sense of bitterness and a desire for retribution. In chapter 1, when somebody unleashes their anger on us or unbridled tongue on us, it's easy for us to become weak spiritually. When we are being overlooked in our needs, when we are being mistreated in chapter 5 by employers or somebody's grumbling against us, all of these can, if we're not careful, lead us to a point where we are weak. Uh, my own personal uh, experience bears this out. In another lifetime, another universe, there was a Christian brother who attacked me verbally and attempted to destroy me. And nobody that you know, again, it's another universe away. And I, without really being aware of it, I slipped into bitterness. And there was a point where I recognized that bitterness could, was affecting me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, honestly, whichever of these turns out to be true when we stand before the Lord, uh, it doesn't matter to me. And if you are ill and you feel inclined by the Holy Spirit to invite the leadership to come over and anoint you with oil and pray for healing, do it. If you are wanting prayer for an illness and you seek, I encourage you to seek medicinal uh, help as well. Go to see the doctor. Uh, if you are sick as a result of sin, and Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians 11. There are people who were abusing the Lord's table. Some were sick and some died. So sometimes uh, sin will lead to sickness, and there is this call to, uh, to confess the sin. Or we may have fallen into weakness because of uh, our own inclination to sin. Whatever you choose, do it. Understand that what's most important is this idea that we are looking out to each other, and then it says, confess your sins to one another. I didn't start to experience sin until, I mean, uh, healing, until I recognized what was going on with my bitterness, and I shared it with my wife. That was my confession. And we prayed for each other, and immediately, immediately, I started feeling relief physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But there is this need for us to let our guard down 
and look to one another for prayer. Remember what uh, James said in chapter 4, that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Not God helps those who help themselves. God gives grace to the humble. To experience the healing that we need, it means letting our guard down, humbling ourselves, and reaching out to others. I'm part of a Friday morning get-together with a, a number of guys. Every Friday morning we come together, and it's very common for us to be transparent with each other and to share our failings, whether it's mentally, whether it's verbally. We've uh, lost our temper and, and spewed vitriol all over uh, family members or whatever, and then we pray for each other. If it were not that, uh, for that being willing to open up, and reaching out to each other to pray for each other, we would not be experiencing the healing that we need to experience. Finally, look to God in prayer, look to each other for prayer. But then James wraps this up with the final passage. Uh, and let's go ahead and put the passage up there, guys. And, and let's get verse 20 in there, too. Uh, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And this is the second part here. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back... Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Not only do we look to God in prayer and look to each other for prayer, but this is an emphasis that we are to look out for each other with prayer. Again, our tendency in our suffering, it's easy to withdraw and stay focused on ourselves, to look inward, but this is a call for us to keep our eyes open and look outward for each other. Everyone who is in Christ is subject to times of intense struggle. There's no getting away from it. This is a call for us to watch out for those who, in our fellowship who may be struggling and who may be weak. Again, as we're going through these struggles, it's easy for us to, uh, to reach the point where we're thinking, uh, okay, uh, it's easy to give up. And that's when it's necessary for someone who's watching to come in and say, okay, come on, we can do this together. You know, hang in there and praying for each other to help each other get through it. Now, a couple of points on this. First, this is not an assignment that's reserved for the uh, super spiritual. The reference is to Elijah. It says that he was a man with a nature like ours. You know, what impresses me about all of the, uh, the Old Testament saints is that uh, this is it's common to see their struggles. Abraham had struggles. Moses had struggles. These were people who struggled with temptations and with their mouths, what they were going to say and how they were going to respond to things. This is not a, a command that's reserved for some special forces spiritual 
uh, outfit that, you know, you have the super prayers who come together and they're the ones who pray for each other. Our, the Roman Catholic tradition has this notion of uh, Christians who reach a level to where they attain sainthood. And it's easy to look at this passage, okay, it's, this is reserved for those who are approaching that top tier. That's not the case. The word for righteous here is not for those who are some elite uh, element in the, the body of Christ. It refers to a person who loves the Lord, recognizes his supremacy, is willing to surrender to him and walk with him and serve him, and is grateful for God's grace and mercy despite our own sins and weaknesses. You don't have to be a graduate of Bible college or seminary. You don't have to be on staff at a church. You don't have to be a missionary. This is for any child of God who really loves the Lord and desires to walk with Him and serve Him. Those are the prayers that impact people's lives. Your participation in praying for brothers and sisters in Christ in this fellowship is absolutely crucial and essential. Your willingness to look beyond this individual sphere, this realm of suffering, to look beyond and look out and watch what's going on and see someone who has been the object of difficulty in general perhaps, but maybe they've been the recipient of someone else's uh, harshness or sin, to pray for them. It says, confess your sins to one another, and then pray for one another. This is a call, this is an expectation that we watch out for each other in prayer. And it says that the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And this is where the example of Elijah. I think we underestimate how God uses our prayers. And sometimes I, I think that it's easy to say, okay, God, I'm supposed to pray, so I'm going to throw this up, but I really don't expect anything to happen. We're going to be, I'm convinced, we will be absolutely amazed when we stand before the Lord and we see all that he did through not the prayers of the super spiritual, but for the prayers of us plain people. God uses those prayers to accomplish much. And with that in mind, also, these prayers, the investment of these prayers yield huge returns. Returns that we could never, ever imagine. That's God's design. And it says that it, uh, it covers a multitude of sins. It will save him. I really... I'm with those who believe that this is talking about members of the body of Christ who stray away, and it's not saving their souls from eternal fire, but it's saving uh, them from the consequences. Uh, death that comes from uh, continuing in sin covers a multitude of sin. God uses those prayers to bring that person back and give forgiveness. You have an incredible opportunity to be an instrument of God, a vital instrument of God to help keep a brother or sister from going over the edge. Years ago, I was associate pastor of a church on Long Island, and I was in charge of the college and career group. 
and the story I'm about to tell, the, the person I'm referring to gave permission uh, because she has shared this story herself. But part of our group, uh, this gal, had come from a really hard background, and she had, herself had been the victim of, of uh, some serious stuff. And she struggled. She, she wanted to walk with God, but she had some serious issues that led to a number of crises, and it led to uh, some substance abuse. And so she had this back-and-forth struggle, and she would come to our fellowship, but then she would uh, go off on, on binges with alcohol. And, and we, we loved her and, and walked with her for, for some time. And one night, she showed up at our house, and she was wasted. And uh, she climbed in her car and took off, and I got in my car, and I followed her uh, in my uh, 1986 white uh, uh, four-speed uh, uh, little car, and, and so I'm chasing her around through town, and she finally, and she's driving crazy, and she gets back behind a, a strip mall, and she stops, and I go over, and I take the keys out of the ignition. She can hardly uh, function. I take the, the keys out of the ignition. I pop the hood, and uh, I yanked the cord, the wire from the coil down to the distributor cap. Some of you people don't know what that is, but in the old days, uh, we had spark plugs that were fired by a distributor cap, and I yanked that and I stuck it in my pocket. And I put her in my car uh, and started to drive her back to, to her apartment. Got to the apartment, she opens the door, and she proceeds to vomit all over the floor of my uh, relatively new uh, little white Ford car. We got her up into the apartment and got her settled in and went and cleaned out the, the car. And I remember thinking that night, I wonder if there's any hope for her. Because we've just, we've prayed for her so long and, and she's had so many struggles. Well, that close community and that college and career group continued to pray for her and love her. And God brought someone into her life who understood her struggles particularly and uniquely and started offering her the help and the assistance that she needed with biblical counsel. And over the course of the next few months, she started experiencing the Lord's healing and restoration. And she reached a point of being fully restored. And now she has a, a beautiful family and, and grandchildren, and she has her own ministry that is reaching out to others who struggle the same way she did. And again, there were no superstars involved in this whole process. There was a group of brothers and sisters in Christ who were committed to praying for her and for her deliverance. And God used those prayers to deliver her. Yes, she had experienced suffering because of someone else's sin, but God used the prayers of the body of Christ to deliver her from the potential. And she experienced God's forgiveness and restoration. Never, ever, ever underestimate the value and the potential of your prayers 
for those who are struggling around you. Suffering is inevitable. And it seems, unfortunately, suffering at the hands of other brothers and sisters in Christ seems inevitable. But God has not left us alone to try and figure out ways of survival. He has given us very key, instrumental, valuable tools to help survive and thrive even in the midst of those struggles. And I really believe that this emphasis on prayer is key and crucial for that survival. Go to God in prayer. He's a loving Heavenly Father who will welcome you and bring you to Himself. And remember the blessings that He's given and praise Him for that. Go to each other for prayer. Let our, we need to let our guards down and ask for prayer and open up and confess our sins and let God use the prayers of others to restore us. And finally, look out for each other in prayer. I'm going to invite Emmanuel and the team to come back and, and lead us in closing. But as we close, I'd like to invite you to stop and consider. Have you suffered as a result of circumstances or, more directly, as a result of someone else? I would encourage you to not let that suffering control you or dominate you any longer. This morning is a wonderful time to find relief and deliverance from that suffering. It may involve going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I've sinned. Please forgive me. First John 1, 9 is so essential to me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from some unrighteousness. Ah, all unrighteousness. Confess our sins to each other. Confess our sins to others. And receive the healing that comes from that. So go to God in prayer. Reach out to others for prayer. And remember that God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen to use plain little old folks like us to help deliver others, brothers and sisters, who are struggling as well.